You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, uh, I guess you're wondering, who am I supporting? Right? That's kind of a big question. Hang on. I'll tell you in just a second. You know, we're talking about looking how Jesus loved a couple of weeks ago and learning how Jesus loved. This Sunday, we're going to talk about living how Jesus loved. And what's interesting is we're, we're learning how to do that in practical ways. Sometimes I think we, we are looking for the spectacular way to love like Jesus loves. And those come very, uh, come very f- uh, few and far between. The truth is, every single day of our lives, we have an opportunity to practically love like Jesus loved. We said last week, it might be more difficult to live for someone than it is to die for someone. Because you die once, you live every day to love others. In fact, if you look at the challenges this week, so I don't forget to share them with you, let me go and do it right now. Every week we've been giving a love challenge before, or right at the end of the message. And love challenge number three is to show your love as Jesus showed love in one of these ways. To write or note uh, a note or send a text of encouragement to a person fighting an illness. You say, does it really make that much of a difference? I'm going to tell you right now. that you, you have no idea what it means when you're going through a difficult season in life, especially illness. Had a lady walk into service this morning at 9 o'clock. Her name's Bernie. She comes every week. She's 83 years old. It's her birthday, I believe, today. She slipped in. Uh, Bernie sat on the back row where she always sits, the back row of the, of the section underneath the, the balcony. When she walked in, she was weeping. She said, my 40-year-old uh, daughter died this week. And she said it's been difficult. She had a a disease that snuck up on her and just week by week took more of her life and she eventually died. She was just, she said, Pastor, I'm I'm having a tough time dealing with this. And I had the opportunity at about 8.50 to pray with Bernie and just love on her and care for her and and let her know we're we're here for her. Let Let me tell you, a word of encouragement goes much farther than you think. And then I'm thinking here about sending a video message to a grandparent. Tell him or her why you love them practical buy a co-worker a cup of coffee or take them to lunch and express your thanks for their work ethic and friendship or write a note of encouragement to another person here in the church you say pastor those ways just seem so small and insignificant but that's what we're talking about practical ways day by day to love not only those in our homes but those in our church family and outside the walls of our church this is the 25th message of the year Next Sunday, we'll be halfway through the year as we talk about going to the next level. And you know, on a Father's Day, you can't help but to think about how long you've been a dad, right? For me, it's 32 years, and I still desire to go to the next level as a dad. As a husband, I've been married for 30, uh, almost 35 years, and I desire, honey, to go to the next level. Such an inspirational theme. I've uh, I've been pastor of this church for 31 years here just a few Sundays ago. And still I have this fire in my bones to go to the next level as a pastor. I've been saved for 45 years. And I want to go to the next level as a follower of Jesus Christ. What an inspirational theme it's been this year. And each month we've looked at a core value of the church. And so today we'll look at another. Let's go to the next level. So I talked about who I'm representing. I'm not ashamed to wear this jersey. Anybody know who this jersey represents? The New Orleans Saints. Oh, yeah, I was there last week. We went to the SBC convention. It was hosted in New Orleans. And, man, I proudly wore my Drew Brees shirt while I was at the hotel. In fact, I've even got his name on the back, his number. 
I mean, he brought me a Super Bowl. Hallelujah. Probably the only, well, the only one we've ever had and probably the only one we will ever have, you know. Not a whole lot of hope sometimes uh, when it comes to those things. But, but I, I tell you, we all have somebody who we have a jersey. We represent them by wearing that jersey or wearing a hat. And, and so we're, we're somewhat proud of, of who we like as, a, as an athlete or as a, a team. And so we wear to represent. But what identifies a true Christian? Is it going to church? Is that what identifies a true Christian? Is it singing worship songs? Is it uh, carrying your Bible? Well, what is it that identifies a true Christian? Four words. They love one another. In fact, in John chapter 13, verse 35, a verse we've alluded to several times this month, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another by this. Here it is. Here's how we represent. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, I'm not a big numbers guy, but I'll tell you, I was fascinated by the fact that if you do a quick a check of a concordance, you'll find there's 13 different references of the exact phrase, love one another. And the first one is found in John 13. In 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, it has 13 verses. The phrase of love is found 13 times. The phrase in love is found 13 times. The phrase love of God is found 13 times. I know one thing God's trying to tell us, to love. Love. Love God. And love others. The one another statements in the New Testament tell us of practical ways that we can love one another. And Jesus said this clearly, that the world would know who we belong to based on how you love. Married people show their relationship by wearing a ring. Athletes wear jerseys and numbers and colors to show who they cheer for. Who they play for. Soldiers and police and emergency workers wear uniforms. But Christians, well, Christians, they just, they just love one another. That's what followers of Jesus Christ do. And so during the Last Supper, Jesus tells his disciples three times to love one another. And then another two times, as we read further into the text and into the book, in John chapter number 15, verse 12, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Two verses later in verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. After hearing the five, for five times, the disciples here love one another at the dinner table, surely they felt somewhat uncomfortable. I can imagine. I mean, if you went home today as a father and you ate dinner with the family and maybe in the beginning of the meal you said, hey guys, just to start off, let's just, just want to say something to you. Let's love one another. And then a few more minutes into the meal you said, hey, just, just want to remind everybody, let's love one another. And then maybe uh, as the meal was uh, kind of halfway through, hey guys, I don't know, I just wanted to love one another. Hey, have I told you guys lately for the fourth time, love one another. As everybody's about to get up from the table and go watch a ball game, hey guys, one more time, don't forget, love one another. You'd probably think, whoa, what's up with that? He must be concerned about us loving one another. Five times. Five times Jesus said at the table, love one another. Our core value 
G-O-S-P-E-L. It's June. We're on L. The letter L stands for love is our reason for sacrifice. Our next level statement for the month is loving others at the next level. Our emphasis for the month has been on Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 2. To walk in love as Christ loved us. He gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We're talking about walking in love and growing in love and, and expanding our love for others as we learn to love like Jesus loves. And so this morning, three decisions to help each of us lead or rather, live like Jesus loved. These are choices we have to make. And so as I preach my last sermon in this series for the month, in an anticipation of Alan's sermon next Sunday, which is going to be awesome, I give you these three decisions. Number one, we've got to choose. Choose to obey the requirement to love. Because in John chapter number 13, verse 34, remember, it does say it's a commandment. It's a new commandment. He said, I give this to you that you love one another. It's interesting to note that he doesn't say, listen, hey, it's optional. I mean, sort of, if you you want to, if you feel like it, if you like the person, if it's convenient, look, maybe consider this. Don't want to offend you, but if it's okay with you, it, it doesn't say that. It's very clear here that love is not a desirable option for the Christian. Love is not an added extra. Love is a command. And I've got some good news for you. God will never command us to do something that is impossible to do. I fear that we are good at many things. Just not love. I mean, we're so good at so many things as Christians. Really, it amazes me. We all know that some are easier to love than others. But Jesus did not say love the nice ones. Jesus did not say love the ones that love you. He said love one another. And we're not just talking about putting up with people. Oh, you know, it's hard to love everybody. I got to put up with people. You know, hey, I got to do this because Jesus commanded it. No. No. Jesus wants us to love people. The Savior's command is so revolutionary, he calls it a new command. He took a step further than just loving God because we're pretty good at loving God. We love a God that we cannot see. We love the idea of God. If only we had to love the idea of people, it'd be a lot easier. But we must learn to love the reality of people. In fact, in the Bible, there was a lawyer who struggled with this. When a lawyer came to Jesus, he asked him about the first commandment. And I want you to notice what Jesus' answer was in Mark chapter 12. Follow along, it says, and one of the scribes, this lawyer, he came up and heard him disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Jesus, Teacher, which commandment is the most important of all? Notice with me, he asked, which commandment? Just one. Just give me the one commandment that, that, that I need to know is most important. Jesus answers this way. Well, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. But the second. Wait, wait a minute. I just asked about one. Well, wait a minute. The second is just like the first. I mean, they're the same thing. The second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So the lawyer asked about one command. Jesus answered with two commands because Jesus speaks to relationships not just between God and man, but between man and man. The real challenge, church, is not really to love God. The real challenge comes when we have to love our neighbor. I've noticed one of the most difficult things that human beings have a difficult time with is getting along with one another. It's not just two and three-year-olds in the nursery. And we have a nursery full of new toys, right? But I can assure you, even in our nursery this morning, full of new toys, we've got godly, qualified, background-checked, wonderful ladies and men who are there right now saying this, hey, 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 share, share. Hey, hey, don't you bite. Hey, hey, don't do it. Quit pushing. Hey, let's love each other. Let's love each other. It's going on right now. I mean, it's going on every 60 seconds. And yet, 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds and 50-year-olds have a difficult time getting along. We went on a vacation. You, you, you know this. We just returned here just not long ago, and there were 16 of us. About two months before the vacation, the reality of 16 people going together on vacation, and by the way, the reality of that number starting like at six, and just a few years later being 16, I thought, man, I need to start preparing for this because it's going to be difficult to get along with 16 people for 16 days. And so I got with my secretary, and I prepared an amazing vacation itinerary. I, I mean, I went all out. I mean, this, listen, there's no travel agent that has anything on me. It was impressive. I got them all together. I had this big presentation. I handed them a full-color brochure that I had designed with my secretary, and it gave every day, every activity, where we'd be, what the hotel was, how long between trips, what we were doing each day, who had the spa day, who had the golf day, who had the this day, where we I mean, it was awesome. And I went through all this. They were just like, oh, this is so cool. You could hear the buzz and all that. Thank you. This is amazing. And then I said, well, I've got one favor to ask of you. About two weeks out, I said, Dad, Papa is a little concerned with 16 people. I just want us to get along. And you know, I mean, we got babies, got a little three-week-old. And sometimes we have deadlines. We're going to leave at 9 o'clock, reservations at, 10, uh, at 8 o'clock, or, or whatever, golf time. At the, you just know we're going to be late sometimes. Somebody's going to have an unforeseen situation. And, and the temptation's going to be, I can't believe it, man. But could I ask you as you're sitting in your car waiting for that person, could I ask you just to think for a moment how much you love them? And what family would be without them? And maybe we can just settle in and just decide that we choose love. Let's just get along. So for 16 days, 16 people, not one argument, not one problem. The brochure worked, I'm telling you. Try it. It'll work. And, and I was amazed, honey, at how many times we'd stop somewhere. And people would say, so where are you from? We're from Arkansas. Oh, that's a long way. So who are you with? It's just you and your wife? No, no, we've actually got 16 of us. 16? 
you're crazy. Literally. I mean, everybody, I mean, see, it was incredible. I'm like, I was not prepared for it because I was so ready to get along. But everybody said, that, that's, that's crazy. I would never do that. That's insane. How could you have a vacation? You'll need a vacation when you get home. For me, it was 16 wild people. I'm like, honestly, we're having a great time. The truth of the matter is, is we can be an example and show the world who Jesus is. If we'll learn to love one another. So the night before Jesus is leaving, he tells his disciples five times to love one another. Because the Christian life begins with a right relationship with God and a right relationship with each other. And I suppose one of the biggest misunderstandings we have in the Christian life is thinking that we can get along with God, but not get along with each other. But let's be reminded of 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 20, that if anyone loves, says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Because the real proof of your faith in God is how you treat me and how I treat you. The devil wants to stop us from having effective relationships with other people. That's what he wants. He wants us to fight. He wants us to argue. He, he wants us to, and, and look, we're going to disagree. There's things that we're not, we're going to, there's, there's things that are not alike about us, but we're not talking about those things. Those things, most of the time, are non-essential things. I mean, we all worship Jesus. We all, prayerfully, and if you don't, I encourage you today to say yes to Christ. But as we gather together here today, those of us who are followers of Christ, may we understand that when we do not have effective relationships with one another, it discredits who we say Jesus is. It discredits what we say about God. So we must choose to obey the requirement to love. I have a question for you. Is it right for God to command us to love one another? Is it right? Does he have that right? He commands us. Does he have that right? Let's say, for instance, a young man walked into the auditorium today and he saw a young lady that was rather attractive, and so he said, you know what? I just fell in love. So he walks up to this young lady, and he says, hey, I know you don't know me, but I am in love with you, and I command you to love me. Does she have to love him? Does she, can he do that? Answer? No. He can't do that. But can God do that? Can Jesus do it? Jesus Christ has every right to command us because of how he revealed his love to us. In John chapter number 15, beginning in verse 12, he says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Because greater love has no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. This commandment to love one another is repeated in Romans chapter 13 and verse number 8, where he says, Oh, no one anything except... To love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. In Romans 13, Paul was discussing this chapter our, in our, our relationship to government and to the law. 
Because the Old Testament Jews had to obey the law. They had laws to keep, laws that govern the land, laws concerning their relationship between their property and their neighbors, laws about tabernacles, laws about sacrifices. But Paul said that for the New Testament Christian, one commandment takes care of all the regulations. I love you, so I'm not going to murder you. I love you, so I'm not going to steal from you. I love you, so I'm not going to bear false witness against you. We love one another, and this love takes care of all the commandments that God gave in the law. Love helps us fulfill the law. Love is the motivation for obedience. Love is the reason for sacrifice. That's it. And so we love. Love begins with a choice. Choose to obey. Will you choose to obey God's requirement to love? And that leads us to the next point. Secondly, we have an example. What an example. Follow or copy Christ's example of real love. Because God's command is not that you just love. It's that you love as Jesus loves. It's his example. It's not love like the pastor loves. It's not love like someone else. It's, it's love like Jesus loves and so let's be reminded of, again, John 13, 34, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That's the standard. The standard is given to us. There it is in the text. As I have loved you. If the command was just the first part of the verse, that would be easier. Isn't that true about the Bible? If we could just take parts out, wouldn't it be so cool? I mean, it would be cool if, you, if, if somewhere it just said, hey, every, every follower gets to take three things out of the Bible they just don't want to do, so it's easier to do it. Imagine reading the verse without the standard. Let's do it together, shall we? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Take the standard out. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for the other. If that's all it was, then guess what? We could just love the way we want to love. I can say I love, it just doesn't show. Honey, I love you. I just, I just don't tell you I love you. I love you. I just don't do anything to prove it. I, 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 this is just the way I love. It's, it's, just, it's just who I am. We can make the decision. The real impact is that he gives us the measure of how we ought to love one another. And the measure of how we ought to love one another, the standard is Christ himself. Notice again in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. This is my commandment, John 15, 12, that you love one another as I have loved you. The command was to love as he loved. And that takes all the wiggle room out. Is anybody else like me? I'm always looking for wiggle room. I kind of, you know, I'm looking for a way to kind of say, yeah, I understand. I see your point, but, I mean, honey, I see why you're a little upset, but let me tell you why. And I look for ways to kind of skirt around the issue and, 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 you know, I get it, but, but there's no but here. There's no wiggle room here. This is so clear. And it's important to remember that Jesus is talking here in the past tense. It is. Think about this with me for just a moment. He says, as I have, not as I will. Because we all know how Jesus loved us at Calvary by sacrificing his life for us on the cross. But he's not there yet in the text. So how much did Jesus model love before Calvary? Before he went to the cross? It was obvious that he laid down his life for us. 
But might there be some examples of pre-Calvary love? Of how Jesus loved while he walked on this earth? There are three examples. Let me give you three. There might be more, but number one. First of all, we have an example in Scripture that Jesus loved by speaking the truth in love. Our first example of how Jesus loved was seen in the exchange of a follower of Jesus who didn't want to sacrifice and commit fully to Christ. In my translation here, he is called the rich, young ruler. Look at this exchange. It's in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse number 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. I'm good. Teacher, teacher, all of these I've kept from my youth. And then there's the pause. I want you to feel the pause. Verse 21, everything changes. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. This morning, I'm looking at you. I'm looking into the faces of people I love. I love Vince. I love Ty. I love Scott. I love Christy. I love the people in this room. You have no idea. I mean, I'm not the perfect pastor, and my love is not perfect love. Only Jesus has perfect love. But I strive to love you. And I'm going to tell you sometimes there are things that I preach that, honestly, I'm so tempted not to preach because I love you so much. Or at least I'm understanding that sometimes love needs truth to be real love. When I look into the face of my children as they were growing up, it's Father's Day, so I remember these days when Mo and Joe and Zoe and Chloe and Glow were babies and maybe up to about 10 years old. After that, I I didn't do it as much because they got older and it seemed a little strange as they got to be teenagers. But up until then, almost every night, I'd walk into their room and just stare at them while they're sleeping. Inevitably, many times, I'd begin to weep and Here's why. I love them so much. I would just look at them sometimes for 10, 15 minutes. Just think, man. I think Jesus was doing the same thing. He looked at this rich young ruler and he loved him. And then he said, You lack one thing. Whoa. Where's the love in that? Maybe he didn't say it that way, but I had to get your attention. Everybody good? All sleepers or eyes? Your love awakens me. You lack one thing. Here Jesus is speaking the truth in love. Go, sell everything you have. Give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But disheartened by the truth, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Jesus loved this young man enough to tell him the truth and risk 
a potential influential follower, risk losing one. But the truth was more important. I say all that to say this. Jesus loved him enough to confront him. And today on Father's Day, dads, I wonder today how often we're neglecting to confront our children because we love them too much for them not to know the truth. How many kids today, their dads love themselves more than they love their kids, so we're not willing to love them like Jesus loved them and tell them the truth. It was love that caused the Lord to speak the truth in love. Illustration. Some of you know that my family and I, my boys and I, just we grew up in, in or my boys did, and I kind of followed them just as a father to enjoy a career, a celebrated career of a man by the name of LeBron James. So I'm kind of a fan of his basketball talent. He's got a pretty cool family, married his childhood sweetheart. He's got two boys and a girl, and he's very wealthy, very famous. I'm not so much concerned about that. I just like the way he plays. He's, he's an incredible player. So we just sort of watched LeBron play, and we're, we're fans of whatever team he's on. So we've liked the Heat, we've liked the Cavaliers, we've liked the Lakers. What if LeBron found out that there was a pastor in Arkansas that was a fan? And I get a call from LeBron, maybe tomorrow. Hey, is this Pastor Capace? Yeah, who's this? LeBron Jan- Le- Hey, LeBron, what can I do for you? Well, Eric, actually, I just, thanks for being a fan, first of all, but I just wanted to uh, let you know my family and I are going to be in Hot Springs, Arkansas next weekend, and we'd like for you to baptize us. And by the way, the whole Laker organization is going to be in the building, and we're all bringing our checkbook, and we're going to give a generous donation to your congregation. The temptation is going to be, do I tell him the truth and, and, and maybe lose this opportunity? LeBron, you've got to repent of your sins. You must be born again. I, I cannot baptize you unless you are truly born again of the blood of Jesus Christ who died for you, LeBron. All you said, he wants to save you today. But LeBron, baptism is not something I can do without you knowing that you're saved. Or do I just say, sure, how much is that check going to be? And love myself more than I love him. The truth of the matter is, most of us are faced with these decisions all the time. And sometimes even with our own kids, we value the connection more than we do the truth. We value connection more than we do congruence. And we love ourselves more than we love others if we don't speak the truth in love. A second example that we have of Jesus is that Jesus loved by saying no to the people he loved. It's not always easy, but it's real love. If you love someone, you want to do anything for them. And honestly, can I get an amen? I mean, it's true. I mean, I love my children. I would do almost anything for them, whatever they ask. But when John, whom Jesus loved, asked for the chief seat in the kingdom, Jesus denied John's greatest desire. Look at it in Mark chapter 10 again, beginning in verse number 36. He says, John, James, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in in, in glory. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? 
And they said, we're able. And Jesus said, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or to sit at my left hand, that's not mine to grant. But it's for those for whom it has been prepared. So guess what? John, James, the answer is no. Jesus was more interested into into submitting to the will of the Father than pleasing the disciple whom he loved. Isn't it tempting at times to give in to those we love and allow or say nothing, and yet they're going against the Father's will, but we're tempted because we love them so much to, to just not say anything? And yet sometimes we have to say no to the people we love the most when that request would hinder them or hinder us from doing the Father's will. How many times as a dad, again, Father's Day, how many times as a dad, through the years of raising my five kids, have I had to look at them, and because of what the Bible teaches, because of what's clear in the Word of God, because of what the Father's will is, I've had to say no and hear words like, you don't love me, Dad. You don't know how much I love you. Dad, it's ridiculous. Everybody else gets to do it, Dad. But for whatever reason, we don't get it. I get it. I know your frustration. One day you'll appreciate it. I love you too much, son, to go against the Father's will. This is real love. And this is the example that Christ gave us. We see, thirdly, an example that Jesus loved by sticking to God's timing and not man's timing. We have this example in one of the most amazing stories in all of Scripture where Jesus had this friend called Lazarus. Look with me, if you would, at John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now, was a certain man was ill. His name was Lazarus. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So, the sisters sent to Jesus saying, Lord, Lazarus is ill. No, no, look at it. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God will be glorified through it. Verse 5. Verse 5. Think about this verse. Inspired in Scripture. Now Jesus loved Martha. Jesus loved Mary. And Jesus loved Lazarus. Perfect love. We're about to see perfect love in action. This is a picture of the love of Jesus. We're trying to love like Jesus loves. How does Jesus love? So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he got up and ran to him as quickly as he could, right? He actually waited two days longer. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Because Jesus was on God's timetable and not man's. And if you know the story, by the time Lazarus arrived, guess who was ticked? Guess who was upset? Guess who was mad at him? Mary and Martha, whom he loved. I'm sure it hurt Jesus. But he loved them too much. Jesus was more interested in the glory of God than following the time schedule of those he loved. 
And so he loved them by submitting to the will of God. He was four days late, but he was right on time. Because grace is never early and grace is never late. Grace is always right on time. In fact, we find out in Hebrews 4.16, it's always there in time of need. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. But if you're like me, sometimes we allow friendships and family and finances to dictate our lives instead of the will of God. Do we love people enough to do God's will instead of their will? If we love like Jesus, then our utmost concern is both you And them following the will of God. And that's loving like Jesus loved. So choose to obey God's requirement. Copy Christ's example. And then finally, in closing, consider the results of applying love. Consider the results. What is the end game? Because Jesus never said the whole world will know you are my disciples. And by the way, is that the end game? The whole world knowing that we're his disciples? Amen? Isn't that what this is all about, the Great Commission? Am I right? Come on now. Hey, this is what it's all about. We're here to spread the gospel. So I'm going to get excited if you tell me this is how we're going to reach the world. If you tell me that, I'm I'm all ears. No debate on this one, folks. Because we know we're here to spread the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus never said the whole world will know you are my disciples when they know what you believe. He said the whole world will know who you belong to based on how you love And I love the way the New Living Translation says it in John 13, 35. Your love for one another will prove to the world. The way you love each other will prove to the world. You're my disciples. You will never find a shortage of people to love. Never. In fact, I heard from a pastor years ago that preach love and you'll never want for a congregation. People need love. People all over this community need love. And if they can find a church that truly loves like Jesus loves, I believe the door, we couldn't keep the people in the building. The Great Commission begins with this command, love one another. Loving one another is the great witness that God has done something amazing in your life. That's what it says. Because no one can see God, but they can see God's children. And if God's children are loving one another, then the world will know how wonderful it is to know God. I want to close with this illustration, if I could. It's an illustration that I studied and and did some research in over the past three weeks, and I want to share it with you. It has to do, if we could, could, would you mind going back in time with me about, oh, 87 years? You good with that? You say, what happened 87 years ago? Well, it's 1936. And in 1936, the Berlin Olympics took place prior to World War II. In the 1936 Berlin Olympics, there was an Olympian by the name of Jesse Owens. Jesse Owens was raised in Oakville, Alabama. He started attending the Oakville Missionary Baptist Church as a baby because his daddy was a faithful deacon there until he died. He was raised there in a youth department and went to church every Sunday, was saved as a lad, baptized by immersion, and was living as a Christ follower in 1936 in the Berlin Olympics. 
incredible story. You won't see this in Hollywood. This wasn't all on the movie. He won four Olympic gold medals that year. He won the 100 meters. He won the 400-meter relay. He won the 200-meter race. But the one I want to talk about for just a couple of minutes today is the long jump. Because he won that one too. He won the long jump. In fact, as he was there in the Berlin Olympics, he had, a, he had the world record at the time of 26 feet and 8 and a quarter inches. That record stood for 25 years. But he had an opponent by the name of Luz Long from Germany at that Olympics prior to World War II, Adolf Hitler attended. Everyone knew the world thought that he thought and taught that the German race was superior to every other race, the Ariane race. And as Hitler stood in that great stadium and Jesse Owens lined up to make the long jump against his most prolific opponent, Luz Long, he watched as Jesse Owens two times stepped on the line and came within one jump of being disqualified from the race for which he held the world record to. All of a sudden, Luz Long went over to Jesse in front of tens of thousands of people, including Adolf Hitler, his ruler. Luz Long put his arm around Jesse. People couldn't believe this. He walked Jesse to the line, and he was talking. No one could hear, but here's what he said. Hey, Jesse, if you'll... If you'll Put your eyes about six inches in front of that line. You won't step on it again. I just don't want you to get disqualified. You're an incredible athlete. Jesse Owens said this about his friendship with Luz. You could melt down all the medals and cups I've won, and they wouldn't be plating on the 24-carat friendship I felt for Luz Long. Jesse went on to win the long jump and get the gold medal. But there's more to the story. I got a 50-minute video just to let you live a little closer to the story. Medal of the Week with an Olympic record jump of 26.67 feet. Long was the first to congratulate the new record holder and took a victory lap around the track with Owens arm in arm. Owens said to this moment, you can melt down all the medals and cups I have and they wouldn't be a plating on the 24 karat friendship I felt for Lutz Long at that moment. Hitler must have gone crazy watching us embrace. The sad part of the story is I never saw Long again. He was killed in World War II. He took a victory lap with him in front of Adolf Hitler, who hated Jesse Owens. So he died in World War II in North Africa. The last letter Luz Long ever wrote was a letter to Jesse Owens before he was killed in World War II. I want to read you that letter today. I'm here, Jesse where it seems there's only dry sand and wet blood. I do not fear so much for myself, my friend, Jesse. I fear for my wife, who's home, and my young son, Carl, who has never really known his father. 
My heart tells me, if I'm honest with you, Jesse, that this letter, this last letter that I, that this will be the last letter that I shall ever write. And if that's true, I want to ask you something. It is a something that's so very important to me, Jesse. Would you go to Germany when this war is over someday and find my son Carl and tell him about his dad? Tell him, Jesse, what times were like when we were not separated by war. Tell him how things can be between men on this earth. And if you do this for me, Jesse, there's something that I want you want to do for you. I'm going to tell you something, Jesse, that I know you want to hear. And Jesse, it's true. That hour in Berlin when I first spoke to you, when you were on your knees praying, I knew that there was something different. I know now what I did not know then. I know it was not a chance that we came together. It was not by chance that we came to the Berlin Olympics to compete with one another. I believe this shall come about because I think now that God will make it come about. And Jesse, that's what I have to tell you. Jesse, I think, I believe in God. And I I pray that these words will reach you because I know this is what you wanted to hear. Your brother in Christ loves long. The rest of the story is this. Listen, listen. Hey, the rest of the story is that long before Luz Long put his arm around Jesse and ran around that track, Jesse had showed love to Luz in the locker room. Many times Jesse would get on his knees as you read the history of this story and pray, and pray out loud for, for God to bless all the runners and, and his, 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 his upbringing and his, his character and his love for Jesus shone forth to all of those athletes, but especially to Luz, whom he became close friends with and witnessed to Luz. But it wasn't until Luz was in a battlefield in North Africa right before he died that he said, Jesse, in his last letter, Jesse, I want to tell you something you're not going to believe. Could you put that John 13, 35 back on the screen? John 13, 35. It'll prove to the world. Buzz Long didn't get saved in a locker room. He got saved somewhere on a battlefield because Jesse proved to him there's something about love. Loving like Jesus loves. I wonder today how many of us, as we go about our daily lives, practically loving people and sharing the love of Christ, have no idea that one day someone somewhere will trust in Christ because of what they saw in you. And you may not get a letter in this lifetime, but one day when we get to heaven, how glorious is it going to be to know that the love we shared with others, the love we spread across the city of Hot Springs, the way we love those that are at the restaurants, at Walmart, in the workplace, in in our daily lives, the love that we show from Jesus the notes of encouragement, the prayer time, the times we invite folks to church, the times we just simply take a moment to say, can I pray with you? God loves you. He died for you. Those moments one day could reach the world with the gospel because of how we love each other. Love's today's in heaven because of a Jesse Owens 87 years ago who loved him in front of the enemy, Adolf Hitler. We have an enemy today. May we not cower to the fear that so many Christians seem to have because of what others might think. Who cares what they think? What matters is what does he think? What does Jesus think? Let's love like Jesus loves.
And here's some practical ways to do it. If you're here today and you've never met Christ as your Savior, I want to encourage you today. If you're in the building, if you're in the balcony, we have an altar and we open the altars. We're still kind of old-fashioned that way, I guess. I'll be up front if you need somebody to pray with, if you need somebody to talk to. Maybe you're a believer here today and you just desire to love others more, love each other more, love your family more, love your kids more, love how Jesus loved. You're going to follow some of these examples if you're in the building and that is how God has spoken to you this morning specifically. Would you come and maybe, or would you just pray where you're seated? I always like to say it like this, however the Spirit leads, respond. We're going to worship while you do that. You're welcome to join us. Father, thank you so much for what you've done this morning. Thank you for your word. God, when I begin to think of the Bible and how sermons are preached and how I've had the privilege of preaching all these years, I realize, God, that it is not, it is not by might or by power, God. It's by your spirit. It's not the closing illustration. It's not any illustration. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, today, may it not be about a story that I've told. May it not be about the illustrations or the outline. May it be, God, about a Jesus who died on the cross of Calvary, displayed his love, and then showed us how to love. May we today follow in that example. And, Father, may today your spirit move amidst and among us in a way that would captivate us. Father, may we sense your presence and feel your love. And as a result of that, want to share it with others. Happy Father's Day. You're the greatest Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand together?